Let me open in a word of prayer. Father, I ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to touch and to move in this place. Father, I pray for the empowering and that the Holy Spirit would speak to the hearts and that You would draw those who are to be Yours. Father, open up the hearts, I pray. Go beyond me and let Your Holy Spirit move. And I ask You for Your grace to be poured out in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to tell you something about myself and why, why I was asked to come here. Both of my parents were born in Iran, both from Tehran. They immigrated here in the late, late 1940s. My, three grand, my two grandfathers and one of my grandmothers uh, came from Iran. Actually, one of them is from Azerbaijan. Uh, my two grandfathers are from Tehran. And one of my grandmothers was from southern Russia. And the one from southern Russia and the two grandfathers were all Jews in Tehran. And as you know, there is quite a significant, or has been quite a significant Jewish community in Iran. The one, the, 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 the other grandmother was uh, a Muslim from Azerbaijan. And so it's really interesting how you can have somebody with three grandparents that are Jews, one grandparent that's a Muslim, standing up here talking about Jesus Christ as Savior. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about my journey and how that happened. When I grew up, I, I never learned Farsi because in the 1950s, when my, myself and my, my brother and my sister were born, it was a different generation and assimilation was, was attempted very rapidly. We were all given American names. And uh, it wasn't until I, I went to college at the age of 18, we were a secular Jewish family. We were not devoted Jews. And at the age of 18, I went to college. And a young man said that he wanted to share with me something about Jesus Christ. And he seemed like a nice enough guy, and, and we started talking. And he came up with me to my room, and he started to share with me some verses from the Bible. And he explained how Jesus Christ is on one side, God is on another side, and there is a chasm, a great chasm that cannot be crossed. So we cannot get to God. But there is only one way to God, and that's through the cross of Jesus Christ allows us to get there. And he started to read some verses from the Bible. And the first verse that he read to me was from the New Testament in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I looked at him and I said, I've not sinned. Can you imagine such a feeling? Here I was, 18, and I had no idea that I had ever sinned. I said, look, I've never killed anybody. My comparison was against a murderer. He said, I've never killed anybody. I've not sinned. And so he proceeded to show me another verse. And he showed me another verse in the book of Matthew, in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. And it says... But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I said, oh, if that is the definition of sin, I am a sinner. And in fact, when he read that word, 
has already committed adultery with her already in his heart. It was as if I had been stabbed right in the heart. This was the first time I realized that in God's eyes, I was a sinner. Then he proceeded to read another verse, taking me back into Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So remember, here I was a Jew. I had never heard of anything like this. Though I grew up in New York City, and I knew I had heard of the name of Jesus Christ, I never knew what the claims were. But it says, the wages of sin is death. I had just been confronted with the fact that I was a sinner. In the eyes of this holy man, Jesus, I was a sinner. And it says, the wages of sin is death. But there's a free gift of God that comes in Christ Jesus, our Lord, it says. God says, there's a free gift. And the young man explained it to me. It's a gift you haven't earned. It's a gift you don't deserve. It is a free gift. God is offering that. This is what began to open my eyes. Then he took me to another verse in John chapter 14, verse 6. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. I thought this is a very interesting passage. Jesus didn't say, hey, there is a way, let me tell you about it. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. He himself is the embodiment of the way. I am the truth. Jesus didn't say, oh, over there is a truth. Look over there, you'll find the truth. Jesus said, I am the embodiment of truth. That Jesus himself is the embodiment of truth. What kind of man could say that? And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Remember, I had three grandparents that were Jews. I had one grandmother that was a Muslim. And Jesus was saying, no one comes to the Father but through me. These were very strange words. But again, it was as if they were being drilled into my heart. And then in Romans chapter 10... Verse 9 and 10, I'm taking you through my journey. Romans 10, chapter 9 and 10, these are the verses that he read to me. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then one last verse he shared with me that day. He began to share, and I saw this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, and He, Christ, died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. That God was calling me to live for Him. That He who died on the cross for me 
says, you now live for me. You know, many times we hear about people willing to die for their faith. But here is a man who is calling me to live for my faith. He says, I want you to live for me. And about a month later, I was all alone in my dormitory room. I was 18 years old. It was November 7th, 1977. And I just felt as if these words were again coming into my heart. That you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That Jesus Christ had pegged me as a sinner. He knew exactly where my weaknesses were. For you see, at the time, I had many weaknesses. But that one in particular, the one that He had called out, there was no internet. There was no internet pornography at the time. But I had my magazines at the age of 18. I had lots of them. And that was the thing that had its hook in me. And there was nothing freeing me from it. And that day, November 7th, 1977, in the afternoon, I got on my knees. I was all alone in my room. And I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Because I am a sinner. And come into my life. And from that moment, I sent a presence in the room. It was metaphysical, something I couldn't see. I opened my eyes. It felt as if a man was standing in my room with me. I opened my eyes. I didn't see anything. But I couldn't stop weeping. Getting on my knees was something that I had never done. As a modern day Jew, we never did it. That was the practice in my home. But here I was on my knees and I was weeping, something that I was, had, had never done before like this. Never before had I prayed to God like this. And I said, God, come into my heart and forgive me. And from that moment, I felt clean. Something was different happened to me that day in my life. That is my journey. And I didn't want to get up from my knees because the man's presence was not leaving my room. It was too enjoyable. And I felt forgiven and clean like I had never felt before. And all of my magazines that I had saved up all went in the trash. It was broken that day. The thing that had bondage in my life was gone. And I told nobody. You can imagine. My whole family was known to be Jewish. I didn't talk about my, my one Muslim grandmother. I grew up in a Jewish community. I was raised as a Jew. I was circumcised as a Jew on the, on, the, on the eighth day by a rabbi. And I told nobody that I had invited Jesus Christ into my heart. And then after two weeks, the young man that had shared with me, he came up to me, he says, Jim, have you invited Jesus in your heart? And I got up my courage and I said, yes, I have. Why do you ask? He says, because you haven't stopped smiling for weeks. Something happened to me that day. There was a joy that filled my heart that day that I had never known before. The hook of sin that God had convicted me with, that had bondage over my life, was gone that day. 
The anger that had so caught hold of my life, even at the young age of 18, was so dissipated that day because of a relationship. And I started to read the Bible from that day. And for almost 30 years, I have read this Bible from beginning to end, from page 1, Genesis chapter 1, through to Revelation chapter 22. That's the last page. And then when I'm done, I start again. And I pick up each day where I left off the day before. And I say, Lord, speak to me. Begin to speak to me. I want to read you a passage out of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote a passage. And this book was written about 600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Records have well established this. If you doubt this, I assure you, your doubts need to go away. Because it has been shown as an historically provable document. We have found, we have found documents from the 1930s in the Dead Sea Scrolls that substantiate the book of Isaiah having been written, being written 600 years before the birth of Christ. And it was a prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. And this hit me very hard, because I know my roots. My Jewish roots started out in Jerusalem, because a man named Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews out of Judea, that tribe in Judea, and he brought them to Babylon. And then Cyrus and Darius brought that group of Jews to Persia. They spent 70 years total between Babylon and Persia in captivity. And then they were sent back to the land. But many stayed. And that is where my roots were. So for 2,500 years, my roots were there in Tehran. But we started out in Judea. And this is what was written concerning the prophecy concerning the coming king. This is what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, starting from verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. This is the prophecy of what the life of Jesus would be like. It says that when he comes, he's going to grow up before God. And it says, He had no stately form of majesty, no appearance that we should be attracted to Him. He was a normal looking man. Jesus was a normal looking man. And in fact, it says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from men whom hide their face. Have you ever experienced the pain of rejection? Have you ever experienced that? I have, and I know you have. I know you have. Because I know the nature of human beings. And the nature of human beings is to reject one another. And all of us have felt the pain at some point in our life of rejection. And it says, this man dealt with rejection like no one else has ever dealt with rejection. It says, he was like one from whom men hide their face. Have you ever been talking to somebody 
And that person is disgusted with you and just turns away. And you know the pain. I've experienced that pain. I'll bet you have too. Jesus experienced that pain. It says, He was despised and forsaken of men. You want to know what the life of Jesus was like? It was like this. And this is what's borne out in the New Testament. This, this prophecy is true. It says, Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed and stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging we are healed. Our sin, my sin, was placed upon Him and He bore the transgression that I deserved. What man would do that? What man would take my sin and die for it? He took my sin and died for it. This was prophesied 600 years before His birth. And this is exactly what He did. He died for you. He died for your sin. He died for your pain. He died for the pain of rejection that you have been through. He died for that. He knows where you are and He reaches His hands out to you. It says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. And this is what the New Testament tells us. When they led him to the cross without a complaint, he said, no man takes my life, but I I lay it down willingly. He gave himself for you. Have you ever experienced that pain? It says of the face of Jesus, he was so marred. It says his appearance was marred more than any other man. It says that in Isaiah 52. You know, one of the things we teach our students in chemistry is we teach them to respect chemicals because when you become cavalier with chemicals, on that day they can explode in your face and your face will never be the same. And we show them pictures of people that have had their faces totally marred by chemical explosions so that they learn to respect what they're working with. It says Jesus was moored more than any other man. This is what he bore. This is what he bore. You want to know what it means to be a man? It means to give your life so willingly for another. Jesus demonstrated manhood. So many of our young people struggle. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? Being a man means to give your life willingly for another. That is what Jesus demonstrated. And he says, I give my life willingly for you. Now come unto me. This time of year we celebrate his resurrection. And there is a portion that vividly speaks of the resurrection in Jesus of Jesus. This is in John chapter 20. It's a difficult thing to believe. A difficult thing. And even some of his own disciples didn't believe it. That he would rise from the dead. And many of the disciples saw him rise from the dead, but one wasn't there at the time when he had risen. And it was Thomas. 
And in John chapter 20, verse 14, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This was not a man who was trying to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He wasn't trying to psych himself up. He said, I don't believe it. He said, I won't believe it unless I see Jesus stand before me. And I put my finger into the holes in his hand. And I stick my hand into the hole in his side because it says when he was crucified. A Roman centurion stuck a spear into his side from which blood had gushed out. He said, I want to put my hand into his side and and then, only then will I believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving but believing. Then Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus walks in the room and he says, Thomas, come here. He had risen from the dead. And he says, Thomas, come here. Thomas says, Me? Jesus says, Thomas, come here. Thomas comes up. He says, Thomas, I want you to take your finger and stick it through this hole in my hand. Thomas says, no thanks, Lord. Stick your finger into the hole in my hand. Now I want you to take your hand and stick it into my side. Put it way up into my body. And feel my heart beating. This is what I want you to do. Now, be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas falls on his knees and says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul the Apostle summarizes this and he says in verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still still in your sins. There is a resurrection that has taken place from the dead. And it says, if you do not believe in the resurrection, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, if you do not believe in the resurrection, the scripture says, your faith is in vain. I didn't say that, the scripture says it. It says, your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins. It says, our preaching is in vain, your faith also is in vain. If he has not risen from the dead. Believe it. Paul in that same chapter says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And with that, I leave you the story of how this man, who was born a Jew, with three Jewish grandparents, 
and one Muslim grandparent could come to know Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, there are people here, there are few here, that know the pain of rejection. That know what I was talking about this evening. And Jesus reaches out His hand to you. And He says, I have died for you. Come unto Me. You give your life to Jesus. Come unto Him. Father, I pray that You would draw these people to Yourself. That You open up their hearts to come to Jesus. Open them up to come to Jesus. And call them to Yourself. And Father, I commit them to You. In your name, amen.